0: For eons, it felt like I would pray every day, Lord, let me be the love of the Lord to every single person that crosses my path. What that led to was a lot of repressed feelings Mm -hmm. and headaches and broken hearts and shattered expectations. And so I think that it's really healthy for especially recovering holy rollers to realize that sometimes for certain relationships, the most Christ-like thing to do is to tolerate them in the name of the lord and Mm. and then pray from a place pray and think from a place of authenticity of annoyance and anger and and um and so this idea that not everyone in your life especially if you are a minister and church work is so relational that so Mm. many people confuse your your the way that you carry out your work they confuse that as friendship
1: friends of the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. Uh, My name is Glenn, and uh, this is episode number 84, and it's part number six of our series called Women's Voices You Need to Hear. And uh, we are giving a platform, so to speak, handing the mic over to some female voices that have made a difference and an impact in my own life and faith. And uh, it's been a It's been a wild ride so far, and it's only going to get crazier uh, from this point forward. As today, we're just sitting down with my friend, uh, Meg Calvin, who wrote a book called I Am My Own Sanctuary, How a Recovering Holy Roller Found Healing and Power. I don't know if you can hear that noise, but there is a bird outside of the window making an unbelievable amount of noise. Uh, now it just stopped, but it was like literally sounded like it was going to come through the window. Uh, but anyway, May Calvin today, we're going to sit down with her and talk to her about her book. A uh, link to that book is in the show notes, and uh, pick it up. You will not be sorry. I wanted to give you the heads up. Uh, this week uh, will be the last week that the Heretic Shop will be up for a while. So um, one of the things I decided with this store that I opened up on Shopify is it costs like $30 a month to keep it up and running. And it's not—it's not, it's not going to generate. It's not going to sell enough stuff to me for me to justify keeping it open every month for thirty bucks. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep it open for a couple months at a time, take it down, then reopen it later on. So it'll be up for this week, and then it's going to come down until June, which is Pride Month. And we have a we have a Pride series that is in the works uh, with some LGBTQ voices that will be coming on the show uh, to share some things with you. And uh, I'm excited about that series. I'm gonna design some new um, pride shirts and things like that uh, that will be on this, that will be on the on the uh, on the site. And so I'll probably reopen it in May for people to get some stuff if they want to wear their pride merch uh, for for June. Uh, so anyway, if you want something on there, what I'm saying is go get it now because I take the store down and I might that that item that you want might not be there uh, when it goes back up. Maybe well, maybe it won't. I'm going to take some things down, put some new stuff up. Uh, so go over there, check it out. Uh, this week, a hoodie went out to Michigan. A blanket has gone out to Washington. Mugs, stickers. There's backpacks around Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, there's t-shirts around the play, the, the country. It's, it's, just, it's cool stuff. It's really cool to see uh, some of these things heading out to people who I, I've never heard of before, but they listen to the show, I guess, and they've purchased some stuff. And um, it's pretty... Uh, pretty wild stuff. So head over there, uh, check that out. Also in the show notes, you'll find a link to the What If Project community, which is a place where you can go to find people who may be like yourself. They're wandering through the wilderness of their faith, asking questions, expressing doubts. And it's just this community of people, about 160 of us right now, uh, asking questions and sharing resources and cheering one another on. It's a safe place to ask your questions and just be yourself. Nobody's trying to convert anybody. Nobody's trying to get anybody to switch or become you know, more more staunch in their faith or anything like that. It's just a place where you can just go and be yourself and be loved and accepted in whatever place that you are at. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes. And lastly, Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject. If this thing has encouraged you at all, um, I would ask you to go over there and can consider giving to the show, there's different tiers, uh, anywhere from three dollars a month up to thirty dollars a month, and different tiers in between. Every tier gets its own reward, which is pretty cool. Uh, but it's a place where you can go to just show some some financial support to the show. All the money, just to be upfront with you, uh, goes towards the the hosting fees of the blog, the website, the podcast. It costs money to keep that stuff uh, on the airwaves, I guess, so to speak, um, every every year, and so the money goes to pay for that. Um, that's due again in, in July, so uh, the money help with that. And then also, uh, I take a trip every summer to the Wild Goose Festival in Asheville, North Carolina, which is a gathering of progressive, thinking, spiritually-minded people who are trying to change the world with love and grace and move it forward. And so uh, I get to go there and meet with people and do some cool stuff, so uh, the money helps me get there. And then also, there's some new technology on the horizon that we're going to need pretty soon. Uh, my computer is about six years old, and it's, it works fine, uh, but I see that pinwheel, the pinwheel of death, uh, more times than I'd like to. Uh, the fan in the computer blows uh, more often than I would like it to, and so that's going to be something I will probably need uh, by the end of the year, and so uh, the money will also go towards towards that. So what I'm saying is by giving to the show, you really are able to help me. Um, Help me and show show some some financial support So if you can do that if you want to uh, head over there check it out patreon.com slash what if project we have 26 patrons right now and uh, thank you. Thank you to each and every one of you. I know that it's hard uh, To to give I know sometimes I know money's tight I get it and um, I know that it's hard to decide what you want to give money to and what you don't and um, I Thank you that you have made the decision to give uh, money to the show—it means the world to me uh, and to and to my family. But all of that to say, uh, like I said, this is episode number 84. It's my talk with Mae Calvin. And before we roll into the episode, um, I want to read for you an excerpt of her book. Something I'm doing um, every week in this series is reading for you something from a female voice before we go into the show. And so today, I'm going to read for you this short piece from Meg's book. She says if we're not flogging ourselves, we are equating the Myers-Briggs with porn and shaming ourselves for liking our test scores. I'm pretty sure when Jesus said the first shall be last and the last shall be first in Matthew, he did not go on to say, and those who hate themselves the most and vow to never use their brain to become more self-aware shall receive honorable mention upon entering heaven. No, never happened. As Rick Warren teaches, Jesus simply desired for us to think of ourselves less, not think less of ourselves. And yet, we, holy rollers, get it all wrong sometimes. We deny ourselves self care in order to care for others and then walk around with our burnout like a badge. Thanks for dropping by, my friends. This is my chat with May Calvin. Enjoy. Work. Hey everybody, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. Uh, you have picked a great day to drop by because today we're sitting down with my friend Mae Calvin uh, to talk about her wonderful book, I Am My Own Sanctuary, subtitled How a Recovering Holy Roller Found Healing... And power. So, Meg, from one recovering holy roller to another, mm-hmm. welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you.
0: <laughs> we should say, well, we should say, welcome to the club. Right? There's many of us. <laughs> exactly.
1: Welcome to the club. Exactly. So, uh, Meg, I first heard about you from your publisher, uh, Choir. I saw something about your book. I think on their Facebook page. I reached out to them. They put us in contact. I'm happy they did because, um, as I said before, we hit record your book. Is awesome and uh, listeners, you have to pick it up. I'll put the link in the show notes for you. But I'm wondering, Meg, how how is the feedback then on the book? What have people been saying?
0: Everyone loves the story of me dating a stripper.
1: Yes, that was that was interesting.
0: I yes. Was like, oh. Yes. <laughs> that <laughs> yes. was like on
1: page three or so. Was not very? It far was into so the book. early
0: on, and maybe yes. I should have saved it. But no, it was yeah. So a min a minister on a date with a stripper. And that, that got a lot of attention. And um, thankfully, I believe that I made it very clear in my pre-launch marketing process for the book mm. that this book is not for everyone. Yeah. And uh, as a good Methodist, I, I lean on not just scripture, but tradition and wisdom and experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. And by experience, that might mean I quote an episode of South Park or <laughs> Tina Fey um, right up there with with, with scripture. And so it's, yeah, there, it is, is not, it is not for everyone, but, um, so with that said the the feedback so far has been very, very good. And I am so thankful to hear how it is helpful to people and Mm. that they can learn a lot while, while laughing a lot. That's a value of mine. Um, Mm. the brain is amazing. You know, how, when we laugh we retain a higher amount of information and so mm. i i love bringing that in to to talking about faith and self care so thank thankfully i'm i'm knock on knock on wood i have not heard any major pushback yet and i i did though i before it came out i messaged to deeply conservative Christian mentors of mine and gave them a warning that I know you're going to want to buy this book and I so because you love me and I so appreciate your support I wouldn't be who I am without you. However, let me give you fair warning. <laughs> so, don't about, don't go on Amazon
1: yeah. leave me a review.
0: <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And they they both reached back out because I do I poke I uh, it, it is satire and I poke fun at it, it try, it's trying to be it's trying to be dry humor, it's trying to be satirical mm. at times and it's it pokes fun at Complementarian marriage, it pokes fun at purity culture, it pokes fun at misogyny, it pokes fun at the church as a bureaucratic machine. Mm. And it's just a weird book. It's a weird, unique beast. And so I wanted to give people that I knew theologically were on the other end of the spectrum as me, I wanted to give them a fair warning that you're not going to like everything on these pages, but I hope you can still love me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And for our listeners, uh, David Hayward, the naked pastor has his comment on the front cover. So uh, he's been on the podcast before. So that'll tell you that it's very similar to the stuff that he does. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So before we jump into the book, uh, one of the questions I like to ask authors is if you were like in an Uber, maybe, I don't know, five minutes from your stop, Drivers making awkward conversation. You know, he asks you, What do you do? You're like, Oh, I just wrote this book called I'm My Own Sanctuary. And he's like, Well, what does that even mean? So what's your response to this guy? Uh, what is this book about? Um, what was the what's at the heart of it?
0: So I would tell the Uber driver that I would ask him if he or she knew the works of such comedians as Seth Myers. Mm. And then I would say, Well, this book is like the book baby that was conceived by Seth Meyers and the celebrity Benedictine nun Joan Chittister. That's and, that's
1: actually a perfect description.
0: <laughs> awesome! That right? that was the goal. That was actually when I when it was when it was an idea just bubbling within me. I kept thinking, I want to find a way to combine. Use the, use the book Donald Miller's Blue Like Jazz and then Tina Fey's Bossy Pants. Use mm-hmm. those, like those two books as an inspiration of style. And um, so that was how it kind of started with that feel. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would tell the Uber driver that. And then I would say it's satirical and spiritual. And it, it, was, it was birthed from my, qu- my quandaries, my questions around why so many Christians from a place of burnout struggle to cultivate grit and mm. have grace for themselves and others. And then I'm sure the Uber driver would say, tell me more. I'm so interested. <laughs> and then, then I would continue and I'd say, well, for years, I was a weird holy roller and I was so perturbed at how often Christians attached to negative stigma, to terms like ambition and self-love. Mm. And I was also perturbed by how, in the name of being nice little Christians, so many in my circle gave others so much power over their lives. Mm. And I saw too many holy rollers, myself included, making every choice from a place of appeasing or impressing other Christians. And I believed it was time for us to take our power back from other people, not from God, but from other people hmm. and own our power as co-creators. So from those quandaries and those years of being perturbed, this book was, was born.
1: I love it. That is uh, right up my alley. And again, listeners, uh, go out and pick up this book. You won't be sorry. And uh, you used to pastor a church, right? I was, I was, um,
0: I was a minister, one of the ministers. So, okay.
1: And you yes. left there, you said, about a year ago? Mm-hmm. You told me, okay. And what are you? What are you doing now?
0: I am the director of engagement for the Institute for Discipleship. That is my day job, if you will. And so, what that is. Um, what, what that job entails is some marketing, um, hosting and producing a a podcast Mm. and the listening chair, it's about vocational discernment. Um, and then I also get to get the joy of recruiting online course participants and Mm. Christian content creators that want to want a partner in Um, hosting their online, their Christian online course at beadisciple.com. So it's a lot of networking and marketing and the healthy kind of schmoozing. It's it's a good time. And then um, I guess my side hustle is I write, I write books. The I Am My Own Sanctuary is my second book. And I like to, um, I like to speak and I coach, I coach more of a creative coach right now. So mm. I'm coaching people in writing their first book. And so talk, we talk a lot about negative self-talk and the mm. writing process. And, um, and then I also coach Christian content creators in, um, in their marketing. And that's through beadisciple.com. So that's, That's me.
1: I love it. And uh, I'm going to have to connect with you on the side because I have this book idea. Awesome. And I am trying to figure out where to start. I wrote a paper in the doctoral program I was in and uh, my professor said to me, more people need to hear the things that you wrote in this paper. And so uh, Mm -hmm. you need to get it out there. So I've been, I have like all these ideas and I have all of these things. I have chapters, I have a title, I have all this stuff. I just need to sit down and take that paper and expand it a little bit. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know where to start. So you and I can connect maybe <laughs> down the road.
0: Yes, please. I love it. That would be the most fun.
1: That would be cool. So uh, let's jump into some questions. I wanted to start off by asking you about the topic of loneliness, which you address um, in the book. Okay. And uh, early on, you quote uh, Dr. Emma, I think Sepala is how you say the name? I'm not that's, sure.
0: That's how I said it. Yeah.
1: Okay, good. So we'll just go with Seppala. Uh But <laughs> Uh, They say this, and I want to read the quote for our listeners. Uh, The answer to loneliness may be to pay attention to the person who is not paying attention to us, uh, the person who has stopped caring for us, our own self. We are so lonely because we don't take care of ourselves, whether lack of time, energy, or interest, or simply because we don't deem ourselves important enough. Sometimes we feel so lonely because it is our own friendship that we are longing for. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering... Can you talk to me a little bit more about loneliness? Because, from my experience in the evangelical world, uh, there tends to be a lot of shame associated with being lonely. Like, if you're feeling mm-hmm. lonely, it's because you're doing something wrong. So, pray more and you'll feel closer to God and then your loneliness mm-hmm. will go away. Or, go to church more, you know, go to another Bible study so you feel closer to people and your loneliness will go away. Like, do more of this, whatever that is, and then you'll feel less lonely. And so, maybe talk to us about a time in your life when maybe this quote from Dr. Emma. Uh, Rang true for you, and what advice do you have for people listening today who maybe are kind of in a lonely spot themselves?
0: Yeah. So the time in my life that I probably felt the most lonely Mm -hmm. and am able to articulate what was going on had to be in my mid mid twenties, and I am the same age as Jesus. I'm 33, so this was a years (laughs) this was a few years ago, and I was going through and some medical stuff. I Mm. uh, have, I have funky chromosomes and so I should not have been able to got, I shouldn't have been able to get pregnant. I'm a carrier of trisomy 13. And, Mm. um, I unpack that in, in, in the first book, the blue bonnet child, because beautiful things were birthed out of that Mm. really dark time. And so, um, but because of that, I, I told myself, Meg, if you're going to share this, you need to tell the soundbite version. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like editing what I'm saying. So because of that, my my daughter was a, was a, was a miracle, like all babies are, but yeah. a, um, I was told you'd be infertile and mm-hmm. this would not be a healthy pregnancy. And then she's thankfully, um, we're so thankful she got her daddy's chromosome. She's chromosomally normal and she was born. And then I had to have a, with the doctor's advice and the genetic counselor's advice, I had to have an operation where I I couldn't get pregnant anymore. And I, I joke that my dog and I are spiritually connected because we were both spayed on the same day. (laughs) 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 And and I laugh and people are like, Oh my gosh, how can you laugh about that? But um, Mm -hmm. I do, we we find it takes power away when you laugh at it years after. So anyway, that was what I was going through. Well, at the same time, my well-intended, loving Christian community that was doing nothing wrong. I had to say that because I do love these people at the same time. What I, what I saw around me were, were certain parents in tight social circles of mine complaining about their children and being parents. And it was heartbreaking for me because all I wanted was a house full of children and Mm -hmm. I I couldn't have them anymore. And so I was, uh, I found myself, very lonely in social circles that I used to fit in very well. And Mm -hmm. then this is a, I sound like a pity party. I don't mean for it to, but, um, two or three years, two or three years after two, no, gosh, darn it. Less than two years after Henley was born. Um, I had the divine nudge to write the first book, which is Mm -hmm. about serving kids of troubled homes and, um, how I had, this divine call to do this work. And so I started writing, it got picked up by Wiffenstock that opened the door to speaking gigs. And so um, my life was starting to look very different than my mm. friend's lives, who at this point had um, my social circle at church who had so many. Um, <laughs> you can tell I'm trying to be so diplomatic right now. I'm like, even You're doing though a good job, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm trying so hard because this is probably <laughs> the loneliest of my life I've ever been. Yeah. Um, so The social circle for my church I was a part of—they they they had bigger nuclear families than Garrett Mm. and I, and a lot of the women were parts of complementarian marriages as opposed to an egalitarian view of marriage, which Garrett and I hold. And what I mean by that is that Garrett and I both were crushing it professionally, and we were having the time of our lives. And my book got picked up, and his startup company—he's in the aerospace industry—and he was having the time of it. It was a great time, Mm. and we we arranged our hours at work so. Henley was, he worked night shift. And so Henley was with him in the day and me in the night and our family time was in the morning. Like we, everything was lining up so well for what we thought we wanted our family to look like. Mm. Um, but my friend base that was from the church, um, they had this totally different view of women and what their roles are. And, um,
1: you mean church people disagree?
0: (laughs) I know. Right. (laughs) Right? So, no. (laughs) 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 Um, so I had to, I had to tap in to myself and, Uh um, I love the, the quote by Susan David in the book, emotional agility. She talks about how emotions are not direction, but they're data and they're trying to tell us something. So I, I, I took time to um look within and ask why am like why what is this loneliness trying to tell me and mm-hmm. at that point in my life what it was telling me was i am i'm evolving and the these this friend base of mine if i love myself enough i can stay with them if i have to be okay with them not agreeing or approving of most of what i <laughs> am right. but if i love myself enough and and the loneliness taught me that I wasn't loving myself enough. Um, if I love myself enough, I can be a differentiated person and be friends, be in friendships with people that are, that their values and beliefs are vastly different. And Mm. I I can do that. And then also at the same time, I was lonely, even though I was with groups of people because I had, I had evolved, um, spiritually Mm. and I, and professionally, and I, I needed, I needed other niche mates, other people cut from a similar cloth as me. Mm. And so, so that time was filled with lots of soul-seeking, and um, I went to a counselor, and I read lots of Ruby Wax, who's a mindfulness-based cognitive therapist, and I read about emotional and mental health. I joined, um, I started to mastermind groups so I could be a part of being with people that were having the same goals and questions as me while still loving these, this friend base of mine as, as well as I could, even though we had all evolved, mm. if, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, a lot of sense. I think you know th- that strikes me about you know evolving in your faith, because that's kind of where I'm at. That's where a lot of our listeners are at. Um, once we began to be more vocal about how our faith was shifting and rethinking things like LGBTQ, uh, like heaven and hell, and like all these different things, even though we still had these uh, people like from our old tribe near us, we just felt much more distant from them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we felt like we were evolving. Other people weren't. And that has created a deep sense of loneliness uh, for sure. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what is your, what is your advice for the person who's listening and they're feeling stuck in that place? They feel like they're lonely. They feel like they, they don't know what to do with people whose critiques are coming at them because of their faith shift or whatever it might be. Like, what's your, what's your advice for them?
0: Follow Naked Pastor on Instagram and Facebook. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> he will help you get through.
0: <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And know first and foremost that you are not alone yeah. in your evolution that's taking mm. place. And I would say, I know it's not explicitly theological, but it was really, really helpful to me to... Read a uh, read about emotional health and and mental health and yeah. what habits I could work on there. And um, one of the editors of the books in the first draft actually said, Meg talks a lot about Ruby Wax, and it's because she's my my woman crush. And I'm utterly in love with her work because she's a comedian and a mindfulness-based cognitive therapist. But <laughs> but her work really changed my life of how I could set myself up for emotional success. Um, and then I when it comes to evolving out of your Christian tribe. um, I would say also be thankful, be thankful for those people and the role they played in the years that they were a part of your journey. And, and so be, be, be thankful um, and operate from that, from that place.
1: Yeah. It's easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Yeah. And just forget everything from your past when in reality, Mm -hmm. there's a lot from your past that made you who you are today. And yeah. Those people who are in your old tribe might still disagree with you. They might not like what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we can hold on to, if we can look at them and see our old self in there, we can maybe have more grace on them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's so true.
1: Um, I also, I like, I like what you said about, you know, when you get out in the, the wilderness, so to speak, there's that sense of loneliness, but to realize that you're not alone. Like Mm, there are mm. other people out there. And I think for me, that was one of the biggest things when I started the podcast and we started a a closed Facebook group and people started to join. And all of a sudden it's like, you're out in this wilderness and you, you're told it's going to be lonely out there. You feel like it's lonely out there, but then all of a sudden there's people popping up behind different things going, I'm out here too. And you find Mm -hmm. a whole new tribe of people and you kind of move forward together.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so true and i also i will quote david hayward again to say for the listener that don't be afraid to read above your head yeah so and even even if you're not a verbal linguistic learner maybe that means you're listening to an audiobook that is asking similar questions yeah so and yep. also as you you kind of already alluded to this piece of advice but think about where you were 10 years ago and how yeah. much you've evolved theologically and that will also help you give people grace. However, there's a huge chance that person that you love so much, who's on the other end of the theological and political spectrum as you, there's a big chance her mindset is serving her just fine yeah. and her doctrinal right. beliefs are never going to evolve. And you have to love yourself enough to, and I talk about this in the book too, this, this idea of relational, relational tears, putting people in the right tier in your life.
1: Yeah. That's right. And we'll get to, I have a, I have my okay. third, my third question is on okay. that. And, uh, jumping the one, gun. I'm jumping yeah, the gun. Sorry. Jumping the gun on me. No, but before we get to that, I want to, I want to move into the next uh, piece, which I want to ask you about uh, chapter two. You talk a lot about sexuality yes, and uh, the shame in the evangelical church in particular, that's associated with uh, premarital sex.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: you have this section where you talk about uh, youth group retreats and how they're filled with, you know, teachings about how premarital sex is the road to hell and, you know, our bodies are like pretty much gross and unimportant. <laughs> and then you have this this quote and I want to read this. I uh, said I remember thinking that if the curriculum in these youth groups that you refer to had spent more time building us up in our talents, we would naturally make better choices in our dating because of an increase in our own self-confidence. One has little time for rebound makeout sessions if she's busy as a student council officer or the lead in the play. And I, I love this idea because it's so simple and so seemingly obvious that rather than tear people down, tear down people's sexual desires, tell young people you know, what they can't do, why not tell them all the things they can do and mm. build up their self-confidence and their sense of, I guess, autonomy so that they make the best decisions possible for their lives and also with their, their bodies. And so I'm wondering, uh, can you talk to us a little bit more about uh, this idea? And for those who are listening, maybe haven't been raised in the evangelical world, maybe they're wondering, like, is this even a biblical idea? Like, can we, can we find some support (laughs) for this in scripture? Because we we all know where all the verses are that tell us that apparently that premarital sex is wrong. But, you know, I know in the book, you talk about how the, the context of those things is super important, but how can we find support in scripture for this idea?
0: Yeah, this is a, this is a great question. And like all of them have been, I would reiterate again, like, like the good Methodist that I am, we believe in the what they what they call based on the name of our founder, John Wesley, but he did not he did not explicitly title it this, but it's this Wesley's idea of this Wesleyan quadrilateral. Mm. And what that means is that we hold up script. We uphold scripture and also experience and tradition and wisdom. Mm. And so, and obviously, when folks read my book, they're going to, they told that's very obvious that I'm not ju- not just leaning on scripture. I'm, I'm leaning on how the Holy spirit has moved through the tradition of the church and through mm. experience and wisdom. Um, but I was thinking of some scriptures that came to mind to back up this idea that um, we make better life choices when after our, our confidence has been built up yeah. and a, f- a few one, two, three, four, five, six, six, six came to me. I think <laughs> about Gen- Genesis one, the, the poem that talks about how good God's th- how good God thought our his creation was and mm. humans being very very good and then i thought about psalm 139 about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made and again we reiterate it's reiterated that we are a good creation and mm. then um john 14:12 i tell you the truth anyone who believes in me will do the same works as I have. And this is Jesus talking to the disciples. You will do even greater things now that I'm going back to the father. Mm -hmm. So this idea of owning your power, and I know this rubs people the wrong, some people the wrong way. And I'm totally okay with, with that. I'm totally okay with disrupting thought patterns because Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's um, one way that we learn. But this idea of owning your power as a co-creator with God. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, sorry, I'll keep, I'll, I'll, uh, finish these e um ephesians 2 10 you were made for god's good handiwork made to do good things first uh, corinthians 6 19 your body is a temple filled with the holy spirit and then second peter 1 3 through 4 god's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness so i i look at all these scriptures and what I think is hermeneutically sound to gather from them <laughs> is that I believe that when we're fully aware of that, that God we were created from love by a God who desires us to join as co creators, to do mm. good works that lead others back to God. We begin to take every choice of ours a little more seriously. Yep. And we begin to see that every choice is a sacred one. And when we see ourselves as God sees us, and this is of course using psychology as a complementary study to theology, (laughs) when we believe we are who God says we are, we naturally make, we want to make, we want to take, make choices that take better care of every part of our being. Mm. And so I think we, when we take time to tap into who God says we are and own the power of this, it's also easier to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit guiding us into our choices and all of our relationships, whether it's romantic or not. And so I think that, I know so many, so many scriptures, and oh, I'm looking at my Bible. I'm looking at my bookshelf. Wait <laughs> one second. Yeah. Okay. I think David Hayward must be annoyed that I'm not getting his book because his book, mo- his book Money is Spiritual fell out of the shelf when I pulled off these That's other it. two.
1: David Hayward's going to turn off the podcast right now. Yes, he That's is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I'm holding two books in my hand. One, they, they're, on, they contrad- they're on different sides of the spectrum on um, this issue of premarital sex. And one is Lauren Winner's from 2004, I believe, Real Sex, The Naked Truth About Chastity. Hmm. and which is interesting to me that all of her endorsers are men i found that really fascinating interesting okay yeah huh. and the other one is good christian sex why chastity isn't the only option and other hmm. things the bible says about sex and so i i use both of these in the book in my own exploration hmm. of that and um and so that was t- totally random i apologize i just no. thought if the, the reader wanted it more That's helpful. more more research on, on this subject matter, because, you know, some believe that marriage in biblical times was different than it is today. It's just, it's just an opinion that can never be for sure. <laughs> all the, <laughs> all, all those, all the, all the rambling to say, I think when we become aware of who God has made us to be, that we were made as co-creators and mm-hmm. we are, we are powerful more so than we are currently aware of mm. that we realize our sacredness and that, that affects every, every choice we make. And, um, and as I, as I share in, in, in the book, I'm in no way promoting promiscuity. I believe that's, that's dangerous. Yeah. And so um, that is, I think there's somewhere in between, which I like, which I try. It was not that part of the book was not that vul- explicitly vulnerable at first. Mm. Um, yeah. It, it, when it, It got through my, my two editors and then it got to the company's editors and one of the company's editors, one of choir's editors said, I just want her to be more vulnerable. Could she be more vulnerable? And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh crap, I could be more vulnerable. (laughs) Will this, and then, and then checking in as a, as with someone who's trying to be creative and serve your audience well, like what is my motive for not, what is my motive for being vulnerable here? Mm -hmm. Will it will it will it serve my my readers well if I'm more vulnerable, or is it just the shock factor that I want? And then also right. for me, struggling as a Enneagram three, whose underlying motive is do I impress you, <laughs> I, that was the biggest sacrifice of this book. Is I am not going to impress a lot of people. A mm. lot of people will not be impressed with this book, especially that part on um, on sexuality. Mm. And I had to be okay with that, and I was because I thought of my small. Not to sound like a businesswoman, but I thought of my small target market that <laughs> I feel called to serve, and I thought this I have to tell everything yeah and and this will serve them well, and that by far that 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 chapter on body the uh, temple tuned in, I think is what it's called Grace for my body a temple mm-hmm. tuned in that chapter has gotten the most amount of personal emails and text from readers that how much that has touched them and and so. That was a long rambling answer. (laughs)
1: No, but that was perfect. And I think that, you know, your vulnerability in that chapter and your willingness to go there with your story and share what you did with people, um, I think puts words onto things that a lot of other people are feeling that maybe they don't have their words for. So I think that you help people kind of develop the language of how to talk about their own story um, Mm -hmm. in regards to their sexuality and things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I think too, what you said about, Biblical marriage is key because, you know, like you said, we throw around that term biblical marriage, but what mm-hmm. the heck? Does that, what the heck does that even mean? You know, there's, right. there's like, <laughs> at least like four or five different types of marriages in the Bible, so it's hard to pick one. And mm-hmm. you know, we're just going to label this as biblical marriage and you know force everybody into that into that context mm-hmm. when it's really not at
0: all there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's so eye opening, and I'm I'm so thankful for writers like. Lauren Winner and Bromley McClennan that went there and wrote Mm -hmm. these books. And, um, and there's so many books now that it seems that are coming out about um, purity culture and the shame involved with it. But like you said, we don't want to, like you said earlier with it regarding another question, we don't want to throw out. They baby the bath water. Sex sex is very, it's very, very obviously one of the most sacred things we do. It's it's a superpower as I talk about it in the book. And if we start seeing it that way and seeing our bodies as more powerful and our minds as more powerful than aware of how we will have to treat those things differently.
1: So on the topic of relationships, let's switch gears into what you're talking about before the the different tiers. Uh, I think it's in chapter five, you talk about these three types of relationships um, and that we have with three different types of people. And tier one is, I have it written down here, people who are easy to love and are always worth the work. Uh, Tier two, people who are easy to like and are sometimes worth the work. And then tier three, uh, people who are easy to avoid and are rarely worth the work. And then you talk about how sometimes we feel um, like drained in our relationships because (laughs) we can mistakenly pour what you call tier one attention into tier three people. And I think that we've all been there. And that's one of the examples in the book of like, I've never had words word for that, but that's exactly what mm-hmm. it is. Like I'm pouring this huge amount of attention into this tier three person who I might not ever have a real relationship with and I really don't want to either, mm-hmm. you know. but they're getting all of this attention from me for whatever reason. So talk to me <laughs> more about uh, these tiers and what we can learn uh, from them in regards to our relationships.
0: Yeah, for eons, it felt like I would pray every day, Lord, let me be the love of the Lord to every single person that crosses my path. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Let me pour tier
1: one attention to everyone. (laughs) Yes. Yes,
0: totally. And that's what that led to was a lot of repressed feelings Mm. and headaches and broken hearts and, and shattered expectations. And so I think that it's really healthy for especially recovering holy rollers to realize that sometimes for certain relationships, the most Christ-like thing to do is to tolerate them in the name of the Lord and, Mm. and then pray from a place, pray and think from a place of authenticity of annoyance and anger. And, and, um, and so this idea that not everyone in your life, especially if you are, a minister and church work is so relational that so mm. many people confuse your, your, the way that you carry out your work, they confuse that as friendship. Oh, um, Glenn's my best friend. It's like, no, Glenn's just good at his job. Right, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> And so realizing that not, and when you, then when you have, a, like I did for 15 years, um, of a, a big volunteer team, and then also parents that you work with and, um, and then your your first staff members on the church and then your family um putting them in this idea of different tiers and and then aligning the amount of energy and expectations and boundaries accordingly to those tiers and mm. those aren't just physical boundaries, but they're also mental boundaries. And that's a huge one that was really helpful to me. And I I share in the book that, uh, (laughs) um, that I would be on a date with my tier one husband. So these are your most beloved people (laughs) that just fill you up. And this, I presented this, I presented this chart at a very conservative Christian conference um, a year and a half ago and (laughs) it was, they got, it got slight chuckles. And so, but I think it's, it's hard to read. Like she's, she's telling me at this Christian conference that it's okay to admit, I don't love you with the love of the Lord. I'm just going to tolerate you with the love of the Lord. And, (laughs) and I would say, yes, start there, start authentically and see how the Holy spirit evolves or devolves that relationship up your tears or down your tears. And that's okay. But, um, back to the mental boundary part i would be on a date with my tier 1 husband my most you know most beloved people go in your top tier and i would spend an an hour of our two hours that we had a babysitter complaining about a t3 life sucking relationship at work right. and it, it it ruined it ruined the date and I, I missed out talking with my T one husband about life giving things. And so mm. this mental boundary of when I'm with a T one person, I'm not gonna talk about this life-sucking tree, T three relationship that's in my life. Mm. And um and so that that felt so much better to me than what I was feeling, which was repressing downright hate and getting mad at myself like oh, why can't I love this person? Mm-hmm. And so, so starting with <laughs> tolerating them. And and then the, the same is true for the mental boundary part of, um, say, if you're in, if for example, you are in an evaluation with high maintenance T3 parents and T3 is, tier three is the bottom tier relationship. So they're, they're easy to avoid and rarely, rarely, they're rarely worth your work. And that's mm-hmm. so hard for people to let other people be on their own emotional journey, be in charge of their own emotional health, and you just be in charge of yours. It took me mm-hmm. forever to learn that. I think ministers struggle to learn that. Mm-hmm. And so, I shared this story where I am a high mate with a high maintenance parent, and they're complain- um, She's complaining that I wore I wore my baby in a baby carrier while serving communion, and um, so in that moment, I need on that example, I need to remember to keep my T1 relationships out of the conversation. She's not Mm -hmm. saying I'm a bad parent. She's not critiquing my child. She's just logistically doesn't want crumbs on the baby's head. And so getting (laughs) yourself, getting yourself in a mental space before you go into a meeting with a T3 person um, Mm -hmm. that the getting your aligning your standards and expectations and boundaries in a way that's a it's according to that that tier of relationship.
1: I love that, and I think too. Like I'm reminded as you're talking, I'm thinking of Jesus, and I'm thinking about even he in a sense had different tiers of relationships, right? Ooh. Like he had right he had Peter and John, mm-hmm. and then that would maybe we caught tier one, and then tier two. I mean he had the twelve, and then he had the seventy-two, and mm-hmm. he didn't pour the same attention into the seventy-two that he poured into Peter and John, right. because that would have been life sucking for him. But instead, mm-hmm. he he gave his energy out where he could to best mm-hmm. fit what he needed to do.
0: Oh, that's so true. Mm-hmm. That's so that, that's so true.
1: I think, I think it's hard. Like what you're saying about even like pastors and people in ministry, because I know when I was a pastor, everybody wanted to be on tier one. You know, everybody thought <laughs> they deserved to be on tier one. And yes. I didn't have the language for it then, but I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think everybody needs to be this close to me all the time. You know what? Everybody yes. doesn't need to demand all of my attention all the time. So I think it's, it's hard for ministers to, I think, wrestle with that. And I think that leads to a lot of burnout for
0: people too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, it's so true. I love the reflection questions that I put at the end of each chapter I have used for my own development. Mm. And there's one that if you are, if your job or your current season of life leads you to be, I'm totally paraphrasing. Sorry. If it <laughs> leads you to be with a lot of T3 people that do suck the energy out of you, yeah. then what are you doing the days following that to be with those T1 people that fill you back up? Right. And this idea of being conscious about that in your calendar and um, regardless of your personality, I know that looks, planning looks different for all of us Regarding depending on how you're wired personality-wise, sure. but are you being intentional with your relationship time?
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to schedule time out where you know you're going to have time with those people that give you life just mm-hmm. as much as you're going to have time with the people that kind of suck it out of you as yeah. well. Yeah, it's about taking care of yourself, right? Right. So uh, last question as we wrap up, because I want to okay. let you go. I know you got an early yes. morning uh, coming up, but I'm going to ask you to be a little uh, pastoral with us okay. and uh, maybe speak to the person who feels um, stuck in their life. Uh, maybe they've been hurt in a relationship. Uh, they've been burned by the church. Uh, they're about to throw in the towel on all of it. Uh, they feel lost. They've lost vision for their life. They don't know which way is up. Uh, your book seems like it could speak into that person's situation a little bit. So uh, maybe maybe talk to that person. What advice do you have to help them get unstuck and uh, move forward?
0: So <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> um, uh, my family right now, we've had three deaths in six weeks
1: Oh wow! I'm sorry. and
0: thank you. Um, I, there's, there's reason I'm telling you this. Um, yeah. one of them was my, my most favorite family member, my aunt, and mm. she was my second mom. And, um, I'm, ex- um, I was recently on another podcast on David Dalt's, uh, things, things not seen. And he talked about when his mother died, that he couldn't write for years. Mm. And I remember hearing that and I was thinking, oh, sweet baby Jesus, (laughs) do not take writing away from me in my time of (laughs) grief. And what I have been experiencing since my aunt um, crossed over on January 12th Mm. is the weirdest, most glorious thing. And that is that when I sit down to journal in the morning, I... I do my Lectio Divina with my Bible, do a little Joan Shittister devotional, do a little deep breathing, all that stuff. Um, I journal. And then um, my heart gets really, really tight.
1: Mm.
0: And I feel like my whole body's going to cry. Um, but then I write. Prose, <laughs> hmm. it just like word vomit onto the paper, and then my heart feels better, and it's not hmm. it's not so tight, and it's not tight at all anymore. Hmm. So what I, I say all that to say, I with this question, I I I did that, and so I have I have that to share with a listener that needs to hear this. So what I would say to you who feels stuck and hurt,
1: hmm.
0: and you're about ready to give up on God, I would say this. Your pain is real and great, and I am broken and hurting with you. You probably think that things will never get better, that things will never be what they were, and I'm here to tell you that you are exactly right. Mm -hmm. Things will never be what they were. They will slowly grow into something more lovely, something more nourishing, some of what you think you lost and needed to be left behind. It is not a part of who you are becoming. Mm -hmm. And it will only derail your growth. Other things, however, that you think are lost await you. They await to be found in new and different ways. They ache to reconnect with you. So lean in, lean into the discomfort at the bottom of rock bottom. Mm. Lean in and lose your voice from wailing in the arms of a God who wails with you. Mm. Lean into the embrace of a God who has been holding you all along. Lean into the discomfort of rock bottom. Dissect it, analyze it, for there is much for you to learn here. Mm. Lean in close to the discomfort of rock bottom. Lean in so that you can clearly see that it was never rock bottom at all. Mm. It is just a detour through a dark, unfamiliar tunnel, for which one day, when you enter the light on the other side, you will be grateful.
1: Wow, that's beautiful.
0: Thanks. Hmm. I hope it helps somebody that needed to hear it.
1: Yeah, and I love the idea about embracing it because we mm-hmm. so often want to push it away, and that's it feels like the right thing to do in the moment. But when we push it away, there's some kind of growth that we might miss.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So true.
1: Well, Meg, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, we're about nearing the end of our time. But uh, before we go, where can people find you online?
0: Yes, megcalvin.com. And you can get the first 50 pages of the book for free. And just the t- button right at the top of the website, you can give it a test drive, see if it meets your needs, if you want to LOL at your own copy. <laughs> and that'll also sign you up for lots of other good occasional goodness to find confidence and certainty as your own sanctuary.
1: Awesome. And uh, we'll get you back on. We'll have another conversation soon.
0: Oh, perfect. I have, I thank have more you. questions.
1: I have more questions for you. So,
0: <laughs> Oh, I can't wait.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Meg. You have a good one.
0: You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
1: work